welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I'm your host, Marissa Meyer. Thanks so much for joining me today. One thing that is making me happy this week is my hammock. Uh, my mother-in-law gave me a hammock for, I think, Christmas a few years ago. And every summer I wait and I wait and I wait for the rain to finally stop uh, so that I can put it out. And that finally happened this week. And so I've spent hours and hours over the last few days just rocking in my hammock and swinging under the shade of a dogwood tree and reading books. And if that isn't one of life's greatest little pleasures, I don't know what is. Uh, And one of the books that I got to read this week happens to be the one that we're going to be talking about today. So I'm super excited to welcome today's guest. She is the founder of the popular book blog, What a Nerd Girl Says, as well as the author of the apocalyptic duology, The Awakened, and its sequel, The Sanctuary, both of which just re-released on June 16th. Please welcome Sarah Elizabeth Santana. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for being here. How is life in your bunker? Um, it's pretty good. Um, I um, work part-time at home and part-time at the office, so I feel like I get a little bit more human interaction than most people do, so it keeps me a little sane. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, no, I feel like the, the cabin fever is really setting in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I like I find myself just kind of going, like, I love this apartment, but oh, my God, I don't want to stare at these walls anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And you're in Southern California. And so I imagine the weather has been beautiful. It has. It's been it's been great because kind of ever since, um, you know, we went on lockdown, it was right when like spring hit. So, you know, we're still encouraged to kind of go outside, take walks and, and, and do all that kind of stuff. So it's nice because it's, it's nice outside to do that. And you kind of, you know, people are still social distancing, but you see way more people outside than you would normally see. Most people stay inside and all that. But I'm seeing more people like ride bikes and go on walks and stuff. And so that's kind of nice. That is kind of nice. I feel like once the spring and the summer hit, dealing with quarantine got a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, okay. So I have to start out with this question um, that I, when I was researching your biography, Mm -hmm. I learned that you have two cats. I do. Named Kaz and Kai. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Would it be arrogant of me to slash assume that Kai might be named after my Kai? <laughs> it's so funny. My best friends, you have to drop this in the podcast. So you have to do that. Yes, Kai is absolutely named after Kai from um, from the Lunar Chronicles. Yes. Aww. <laughs> <It's so laughs> yeah. We got Kaz first and we named her after the main kid. Well, one of the main characters in um, Lee Bardugo's Six of Crows. Yes. And when we got Kai a year later, we just kept, we couldn't figure out a name and he, he was very shy at first. We couldn't even figure out like a personality. And um, my boyfriend had just start, had just finished reading the Lunar Chronicles because I told him he had to read it. And he's like, well, what about Kai? That works really nice. And I was like, I'm sold. So yeah. So, <laughs> I love it. So you yeah, it was perfect for me. <laughs> oh yeah. Which... At the time, sounded like a great idea, but the longer that we've had them, the more that it's been like, Kai, Kaz, I don't remember who's who. <laughs> yes, we're kidding. I always 
always hear it when parents name all of their kids with the same first letter. I always think, how are you not just constantly stumbling over those names? Right? <laughs> I don't, I, I would, I confuse my cats all the time. I can't imagine with like the kids. I had a friend in high school who um, they were one, she was one of seven and they all had J names. Oh my like, God. I don't know how, I don't know how your mom keeps you apart. Like there's just, how does she do it? <laughs> yeah. You'd be constantly doing mental flip-flops. Right. Yeah. So I yeah. definitely do that with my cats. And um, sometimes <laughs> I think they don't know their own names because they're so similar. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I hope after this podcast, you'll give Kai some extra snuggles for me. I can yeah, definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we kick off this episode with you telling listeners what is The Awakened about? Um, so The Awakened is kind of very timely right now. Um, the Awakened is about a high school senior named Zoe who is just kind of, you know, doing very normal high school things, going to school. Um, you know, she lives with a very overprotective dad who kind of makes her take self-defense classes to make sure she's safe in their New York City neighborhood. Um, and then, you know, out of the blue, a pandemic hits the United States. Um, and it happens real, real fast in real, real serious. And it kind of just wipes out part of the population really, really quickly. Um, and obviously, we kind of know how scary that can be. We're living in something like that right now. Um, but to make matters even worse, um, all the bodies that are kind of starting to, you know, sort of pile up um, suddenly all disappear. And then they reappear a few days later as um, the awakened. Um, and the Awakened are, they're, they're zombies, but they're kind of my take on zombies. Um, they still chase humans. That's what they want. They feed on human flesh, but they're smarter and they retain the, the, the personality and memories of the people that they were before they died. So they're much faster, much smarter, much scarier. Um, and the Awakened follows Zoe, her dad, and her very cute, but very annoying next door neighbor, Ash, as they kind of um, you know, fight to survive in, in this in this country that's torn apart by pandemic and, and zombies. So that is The Awakened. <laughs> no, I like that you mentioned how timely it is, because of course, it's impossible to be reading it and not yeah. hearing <laughs> it to what's happening in the real world. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was funny, because I also, of course, The Lunar Chronicles had a pandemic um, yes. as, as a big part of that plot line. Um, and so I like had this Venn diagram in my head of like Lunar Chronicles and The Awakened and also <laughs> real life. Right. <laughs> and pandemic in the middle. And it's but, funny because I've been thinking about putting The Awakened like this relaunch for so long and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm ready for it. And then like, as I'm going through the motions of getting ready for it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, okay. Like now real life is reflecting fiction and this just feels weird now. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine it would feel weird. What has it been like trying to launch a book about a terrible, deadly virus in the midst of all this? It's definitely like, it's definitely a challenge because there's a lot of people that don't want to read about that stuff, which is totally understandable. People are looking for more um, of an escape than to read more about what is kind of going on. So yeah, that's definitely been a little bit of a struggle, but I found that most people are like the opposite. They're like, this is what we're dealing with. I want to read this. You know, it's, and it's funny because people are like, wow, this is about a pandemic and zombies, like, sign me up. And I'm like, you're totally good to go. <laughs> like, so I've had kind of both reactions, either the, mm, like, I'm okay. I think I'll, I'll, I'll pass on that for now. And then the people that are like, no, that's what I want right now. I want the, the stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, well, that works for me. <laughs> it's funny how we have different coping mechanisms for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of felt like in reading it, 
you know, cause I, as a reader, I tend to be the worst times are in real life than the happier I want my fiction to be. Sure. Um, yeah. But in reading The Awakened, there was like this weird reverse psychology thing happening where I was like, well, I mean, what's happening with coronavirus is nowhere near as bad as what's happening right? in this book. <laughs> you know, right. small beats of gratitude. I always feel like, yeah, like, it's okay, guys. It could be so much worse. Like, so much worse. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So one thing, so... It is a zombie story um, and kind of true to, you know, the zombie genre, things start out bad and then they get progressively worse as the book goes on. Yes. And and I guess that could kind of be said of, a, you know, most fiction, but I feel like zombie novels like really take that to the extreme <laughs> um, as, as does The Awakened. And one of the things that felt really unique about this take on zombies is that they're intelligent um, and they they can speak and they can be manipulative. And I'm reading it and just thinking like, smart zombies, is that what the word is? <laughs> <laughs> what, what was, when you decided you're going to write this zombie book and you were going to have them be intelligent, like, was that just you thinking, you know, what would make zombies even worse? Smart zombies. <laughs> Kind of. I do remember um, when I started writing the book, and I've always written contemporary before. I've been like a strict contemporary writer. I've Before The Awakened, I never wrote any speculative fiction like at all. Um, and I was very into The Walking Dead at the time, you know, watching this show. And nothing against the show. It was great. But I got to a point where I was just sort of bored. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to stick with this. Hmm. And I remember thinking like, well, why? Like, what's what's happening? That's like not making me stick with it. You know, and I was like, I just kind of found the zombies boring. And it was it was just because it's like every zombie story tends to be the same. And the storyline, like, it's hard to continue with, like, a show to me because the zombies just keep doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing yeah. that changes. And so I thought, well, okay, what, what could you do to make zombies more exciting or more scary? And I was like, well, you can make them faster. That would help, you know? And I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, ooh, what if they talked? Like, that's scary. And it just kind of built from there. Like, what can I do to make them, like, a little bit more interesting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's creepy. It's a horribly creepy idea. Um, and that, <laughs> you know, not only can they talk, but they like you, you mentioned in, in your synopsis, they retain their memories and they can find their way back to their friends and their loved ones. And I mean, you have some really dark, horrible scenes with regards to that. <laughs> I thought it made it also more interesting to you because it's like, I think a lot of the zombie fic, whether, you know, whether it's TV or, or, or movies or whatever, you know, they do often show characters struggling to like take down family members or take down friends, but they always kind of have that idea of like, well, that's not, they're, that's not them anymore. And it's easy yeah. to convince themselves that. But in The Awakened, I think I tried to make it a little bit harder for them because it's like, okay, it's not, but it is, you know? And, and when you have your dad, your best friend, your teacher, whoever it is in front of you talking to you and stuff, it's like, there's a, there's definitely more hesitation than there would be if they were just, you know, what we know as normal zombies. And so I kind of wanted that to be a big thing. Yeah, no, it would be a total mind trip. Uh, and trying to put yourself in the situation of those characters, how difficult the choices would be to make if you were faced right. with that. And 
I think, you know, I don't know what I would do. I'd get off the time, like, what would you do in a zombie apocalypse? I'm like, I'd be the person hiding in the basement. Like, I would not be as brave as these characters. Like, I put all the, like, wish I had for bravery into, like, Zoe, the main character. But, oh, yeah, I would not be that person (laughs) at all. Yeah, no, me either. I I am not anything like Zoe. (laughs) But I really admire (laughs) people and, and girls who are like Zoe. I wish I could be. Right. A little more fierce, which is part of the reason why I love reading about them. Um, I, I did because we also used to watch The Walking Dead um, and same, like I just kind of burned out on it after so many seasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I do remember like when Walking Dead was like the most popular show on TV and everyone you knew was watching it and we would have these long conversations about like, what is your zombie apocalypse plan? And I actually ended up buying a book about survival. <laughs> like, that's amazing. That's my tactic. Like, if I don't, like, I'm going to buy a book. It sits in my bookshelf untouched. I still haven't learned anything about survival. <laughs> but I like knowing that it's there if I need it. Um, what if anything your... ever happens, you can just grab it off the shelf and take it with you. Exactly. Learn on the that's, way. <laughs> that's what I thought. Like, I'll learn on the run. <laughs> <laughs> your zombie apocalypse plan you know like I said I I wish I I could say that I'd be the person that knows exactly where they'd go and know exactly what to do I think I would just be like I don't know what to do um but I'm lucky I live with my boyfriend and I live with his best friend and they're both super nature super hikers like super into all that I just like you guys lead the way I'm following you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever your guys' plan is, I, I'm in with you. You guys have probably got the better ideas, and I will just pack up the cats and let's let's go. Like, <laughs> you would bring the cats. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that would make the most sense, but I would definitely try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with the cats. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they. I don't think they'd like it very much. <laughs> no, no. You know, people don't usually talk about what happens to the pets in the zombie apocalypse. Um, but I have a feeling that it doesn't go well for them. I don't think so either. Yeah. 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 I definitely don't want to spoil anything in my book, but I do touch on that a little bit. And I definitely have people that are not very happy with me because of it. <laughs> right. Right. But realistic, you know, right. And Absolutely. Of course it's easy in your day-to-day life to say, Oh, I would totally rescue my cat or my dog or whatever. Right. But when it actually comes and you're actually having to run for your life, uh, I'm not sure it'd be such an easy decision to make. Yeah, the logistics of it is just like, there's there's just no way, unfortunately, like to like think, oh yeah, I can absolutely grab my, my cat right now or my dog. So yeah, right. absolutely. Right. Okay, so I want to talk about your kind of publishing journey. Um, sure. You have kind of an interesting story that you don't hear very often. Um, in, in, in fact... You tell the story. You you have better than I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, so like I said, I mentioned before, I was always a contemporary writer. Um, I've been writing contemporary for as long as I can remember, and then I got this idea for this story, and it was kind of when like sci-fi, dystopia, and all that kind of stuff was really big. And so you know, I don't know if I was just inspired by it or whatnot, but um, and that's what I ended up writing. And then by the time I went to go sell it contemporary had come back in a big way so I was like well okay and it did take me a while to get there and eventually I was published through um, a small press publisher and um, 
my books were available for about three years. And not to go into a super long story or anything, but unfortunately, um, I, you know, my contract was ended, it wasn't renewed. And um, the publisher that I was even with ended up going under, they don't exist anymore. And so I kind of just put them aside for a while, I, I felt sort of, you know, sad about the way things had ended, because they had done so well on their first run. And, and uh, it didn't, it, you know, it kind of just I put them aside for a while, then maybe about Oh, I don't know, like six, nine months ago, something like that. I decided, like, I kept having people ask me, like, where can I get your books? I'm like, oh, they're not available anymore, you know, and sorry, like maybe someday. And I just got to the point where I'm like, you know, I'm just going to put them out there again. Let's get them new covers. Let's do it. Like, you know, I don't even want to like query about it. Like they've already been out there. Let's just republish them. I'm going to do it myself. And I spent a lot of time like researching how to self-publish. And I spent majority of that time, like making sure I was doing kind of the right things. Um, and eventually decided that was the best way to do it. Um, put them out myself. And that way it was, it was all me. I didn't have to give them to anybody again. And um, yeah, that I, I relaunched them about a week ago. So you've kind of now seen the publishing side from, from two different perspectives. Um, yes. You know, the author who is, is more traditionally published uh, through a small press and then now going the self-publishing route. Uh, what have been, what would you say has maybe been some of the biggest challenges of making that transition into self-publishing? Um, the hardest part is, is, is it's both a bonus and it's the hard part is doing everything yourself. And you can definitely like, there's definitely people to reach out to, you know, I had a, a new cover designer, I had a new editor, a new interior designer, but instead of having a publisher that's just like, Hey, this person's designing the cover, I'll send you the stuff. It's like, I had to go and find somebody who had work that I thought was great and maybe would match something I would want. It was it was definitely more like, oh, I didn't have to do any of this before. And now it's sort of like my responsibility to do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And people would send me like, you know, I would get like mocks for the cover and I'd be like, I think it's good. Like I didn't have to choose this last time. Like, right. And it was great. I mean, it's definitely like a bigger freedom, but it's also like, this is way more choices than I had before. And so it's, it definitely has its ups and downs on it. Mm-hmm. Well, the covers look fantastic. Thank you. I'm very, very happy with them. Yeah, they're really, really great. Did you look for, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but did you go out then and search for freelance artists or what would, I don't even know what the process would be for finding a cover artist. It's pretty great because so many people are um, self-publishing now that there are a lot of people out there who do that kind of design for a living. And it's great because a lot of people do um, sort of a package deal. I'll, you know, I will design your ebook cover, your paperback cover, and then we'll do the interior design of the book as well. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is it's really not like complicated graphic design work and stuff. And so a lot of people do it. And it's just a matter of, you know, finding somebody. Um, that will, will, you know, produce something that you want for your book. And there's a lot of, um, I'm part of a lot of like indie author groups too. I've kind of joined a lot of that kind of, you know, tried to reach out to other self-published authors and they've recommended people to try. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty great community, the self-publishing community. I was going to ask, cause I have some friends who have self-published and I, I get that vibe from them that it's they're constantly helping each other promote. Um, and and I know that there are forums where they, you know, kind of talk through the the nitty gritty of how to do various uh, whether it's cover design or promotion yeah. things. Um, yeah, talk more about the the self-pub community because I think that would be one of the the highlights. 
It is. It's really great. It's one thing that it's that has definitely helped and definitely makes you feel stronger in self-publishing um, is that there's so many other people doing it and there's so many different levels of you know success and there's so many different levels of experience. And so if you have a question that you think is just silly or small, there's someone out there that totally knows the answer to that question. You're like, do I need this? And they're like, yes, you do. And it's like, it's just stuff you never think about when you have a publisher because they figure out everything. They figure out cover and promotion and even things like your ISBNs. Like I never had to worry about that, you know? <laughs> right. And it was until I was like, it was honestly only like a month until publication that someone was like, oh, you have your ISBNs, right? And I was like, what, what are the, you know, like, I mean, just didn't even think about it. And yeah, the self-publishing community, because for the most part, I mean, we don't tend to hit bestseller lists. We don't tend to have a lot of competition. We don't tend to, you know, whatever happens kind of happens, at least for me, you know, I'm putting this out there, you know, I definitely want it to sell. I definitely want it to, you know, do that, but I'm not, I don't have to um, prove anything to anybody but myself. I don't have to, you know, sell my advance or any of that kind of thing. And so there's kind of almost less competition with, with the authors because everybody's doing the same thing and everybody wants everybody to be successful. So, you know, everyone's like, yeah, absolutely. Like I wrote a book like that too. Let me tell you how I did it. And so, yeah, it's a really open community. That's great. Now I very much feel like the more we can all lift each other up, the better, Oh, yeah. um, and I feel like, like, it's not like we're all after finite resources. Like we, the more readers yeah. out there, then you pull more people into the genre, then they go out looking for other books and it benefits everybody. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. And I, I mean, it's like, if you like book A, it's, you know, you're probably going to like book B and you're going to keep searching for that kind of genre. Like I would never be upset if someone was like, oh yeah, I wrote, you know, a young adult zombie novel too I'd be like that's great like there should be more of us out there like I love that you know let's work together let's promote each other you know right. our readers yeah. our readers are probably similar so let's help each other out definitely did you make any changes between the the book as it originally came out and then when you re-released it not any plot changes and that was really hard for me to do <laughs> I I went through and I definitely re-edited and I did a little bit of that and when they had been originally published the, the first book came out in 2015 and then the sequel followed in early 2017 you know I I do kind of what probably every writer and every author does is like you go through and you're like oh I should have changed that and that and that and that and it's like no it's done it's over like it's you, you can't look at it anymore you just let it go it's finished, you know? Yeah. And I, I definitely didn't want to change anything. Like I didn't want to take this as an opportunity to just change everything. It did find the way it was. And I was afraid if I started to change things and it would just end up to be being like a totally different book. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just kind of like, okay, that's the book you wrote back in 2015. Definitely 2020 Sarah writes a little bit better, maybe a little bit different, but that, that's the book that I like, and that's the book it was supposed to be. So I just kind of left it. But it was so hard not to change everything. <laughs> it was very, very hard. I kind of had to – I work with a friend who's an editor, and I just kind of had to be like, please, don't, like, rein me in and let, don't let me change everything about this story. Like, it's fine. I don't need to do that. Yeah, no, it would be so hard. And I know, like, when I'm writing – I wait until the very last minute, like we, when the editor is ripping it out of my hands, you're uh -huh. constantly making changes up to the end. And then even when it does get published, there's always things that you want to go back and tweak and, and oh, yeah. change. Um, so I can imagine that would be really hard. Like, when do you say, 
that enough is enough, especially now that you kind of have your own uh, self-imposed deadlines. Right. And it's definitely like, you know, once both of them were published, you know, people like, oh, do you read your books? I'm like, I can't because I'm always going to be wanting to fix something. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's done. It's stuck. It's published. It's a real thing now. And I don't, I can't change it now. And so, and that's, you know, usually true for most people, but I had that, you know, different experience of getting to go back and and redo, you know, re-edit it for republishing. And it was like, okay, that doesn't mean you should go wild though. You know what I mean? Like just, you know, it was, it was great the way it was. Just leave it the way it is. If you start to, you know, fix it, you're just going to get obsessed with quote unquote fixing it and it's fine. So I just kind of was like, just let's edit it and let's leave it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I can see how it would be difficult, but I think the decision you made sounds like it was maybe good for your your mental health going forward. (laughs) It was great because a lot of the people that have been buying the books and stuff were people that loved it the first time and they were excited because it was new covers and all that great stuff. And so I was like, I don't want to change it from, you know, for the people that already loved it, you know what I mean? Like, I want to give them the same book, just in a different package. Sure. Was there any part of you with, as, as the coronavirus pandemic hit, like, were you tempted to go in and add, like, and now they're wearing masks or a little (laughs) little thing about social distancing? (laughs) I, it was funny, because I was, I was like, you know, it's only really the first, maybe, I don't know, like quarter that you really get that part before like it's pretty much focused on the zombie part right but when I was like working on that part I was like I do okay with that you know everyone kind of locks themselves indoors and stuff but like I didn't know what people would do in a pandemic I've obviously never dealt with a pandemic nobody had right (laughs) so I did kind of go through it and go like just kind of comparing it to like what we were already doing like okay I didn't do half bad considering I'd never like experienced it before but I was like this is definitely like you know a little different than I expected (laughs) yeah yeah no I think back to Cinder and like in the midst of this deadly pandemic the market was still open and the the royal family is still planning on having the annual ball right (laughs) well we know better now (laughs) yeah I think there's a there's a chapter where um, Zoe's best friend goes to a concert and she tells her best friend not to go, but her best friend goes anyway. And I'm like, I feel like the concert wouldn't have happened anyway. Like that <laughs> wouldn't even been like that wouldn't even been like a decision to make because they would have been like, no, absolutely not. Like people are not coming to this concert. Right, right. I, I I've had a number of concerts canceled on me this yeah. year. <laughs> it would have been like an underground, like only the cool kids know about it concert. Right, right. Like this is not like a you know, a a legal concert we're having right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So going through the self-publishing process where you're now making all of the decisions, you you get your cover art, you get it uh, re-edited, I think, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Um, And then now doing all the promotion yourself and everything. Was there any part of the process that you found that you really enjoyed, maybe in a way that kind of surprised you? I think a lot, like... I definitely liked the cover, being able to do the cover, because I mean, I had a lot of freedom with my first covers because I was published through a small publisher and I didn't get a lot of pushback on what I wanted. But with this, it was like, I, you know, I had commissioned someone to, you know, to do this for me. And so I kind of enjoyed that we had this, you know, back and forth of, okay, I like that, but can we change that? Like, it just felt like I was more involved with it. And I really liked it because when the final product came out, I loved it. And I remember like really, really liking my original covers, but when I saw these covers, it was like an instant love because I had so much to do with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really, really, really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed just working 
when you when you're you know more traditionally published you know you work with your editor you work with that kind of stuff but you don't really work with a lot of other people like a lot of that's behind the scenes um i love that i got to work with the person that did like the interior design and format like i i i just felt like more appreciation i think for it you know is is you work so hard and the inside looks great like thank you like i really enjoyed like being able to work with each individual person yeah so aspiring writers um you know so many of us we come into this we have dreams of being published and you work so hard to get the agent you work so hard to get that first book deal um and i think a lot of people when they're going through this process maybe aren't aware that you know your book can come out and be out for a number of years and then the rights can end up reverting back to you and it might not be on the shelves anymore or sometimes publishers do close and then you get those rights back. And that's a reality that happens that doesn't really get talked about very often. I mean, I imagine it must've been so hard when you learned that it was going to be that your publisher was going under and the rights were going to be coming back to you. Um, How did you kind of handle going through that? Oh yeah, it was definitely, especially since, I mean, the book had done so, so well. Like I really was just blown away, you know, for a small press and for all that, like I was, I was really blown away with how well it did and, and kind of all the opportunities that had happened because of it. And so when it happened, it did happen very, there was no like build up to it. So it was also very sudden. So everything was fine. And I was actually like right about to appear at a, like a, a teen book festival around here too. And I had found out and I ended up not having any books for that teen book festival because it was that sudden, like it just happened. Oh, suddenly. Wow. Yeah. So um, I think I was able to like, you know, Hey, can I just buy some copies before, you know, I go, I'll just sell them myself. Like I have this book festival in like two weeks, you know? Um, so I was very, very like shocked and very kind of disappointed at the time, because like you said, that's not something people talk often. I think oftentimes it's this, well, once you get published, you're published forever. And every book you write after that is totally going to get published. And it's, it's, it's not like that, unfortunately. So I, you know, I'd had a good publishing run with both of the books. And I think all of that kind of extra stuff was just definitely not on my mind. And it took me a while to kind of like almost get over it, like to, you know, I felt almost like, I hate to say bitter, but a little bit, I did kind of like, okay, well, now what, (laughs) you know, like, do I have to start over? Like, I don't want to start over. That just feels, you know, like exhausting, you know? Um, um, And so it did take me a while. Um, I remember that because that was like in September and that year in November, it was the first time I've ever skipped NaNoWriMo because I just couldn't even make myself right. I was like, I just need a break. And it did take me a while to to get back to all of that. But by the time I kind of like, you know, processed everything and realized that everybody's publishing journey is kind of different and there's so much more to each journey that that we just don't see behind the scenes, I was like, you know, I worked really hard on these books and I, you know, I'm not going to let this kind of like set me back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I still have so many more stories to tell and I really want these stories to be back in the world. So it was, it was definitely a, like a, like a lower, you know, time of just kind of, I didn't write a lot. I didn't really think about the awakened a lot. And then it kind of, you know, I kind of came out of that and went, okay, I think I'm ready to like bring them back. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds like a really natural progression. Um, and I think you had every right to be bitter <laughs> about it. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that you were able kind of to come out on the other side and, you know, decide that it was not going to be the end of your, your writing and your publishing journey. Yeah, definitely. I think 
you know, I've, I've been very much on the other side for many years. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I've been book blogging for about eight years now. So I, I definitely know a lot of the process, but on like the other side of it. And so on my side of it, before I got published, it was very sunshines and rainbows and beautiful. And then coming on the other side, I was like, oh, okay, there's a lot more to it, you know, and I think I just needed a moment to kind of process that. And then once I did, it was like, but I still really love what I do, you know, and just because it's not that sort of sunshine and rainbows fantasy that I thought it was on the other side doesn't mean it's not totally worth it to like work hard on my books. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Cause I, I think that we do like pre-publishing. It's so easy to look at published authors and think they've made it. They've hit the dream and everything right. <laughs> gold and, and sunsets from forever on. Um, but it's, it's very often not the case. Um, and, and there are other struggles and, and more things to overcome. But like you say, the important thing is that you still love what you do and, and love writing. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something I've been very like vocal about too. Like, hey, like sometimes publishing, sometimes even just querying out that stuff will just hit you over and over again. And it feels so hard, but like the end result is so worth it. Yeah. So I get a lot of emails from aspiring authors. Um, and I know that there's a fair amount of aspiring authors who are listening to this podcast. Um, and I feel like I'm constantly being asked, uh, you know, like people who are, I'm on the verge of finishing this novel. What do I do? Do I try to find an agent? Do I go the self-publishing route? And, and I know a lot of people are looking for guidance um, and trying to determine those next steps and what is the right path for them. Um, what would your advice be to someone? I have to think about that. I think <laughs> it's very hard because I mean, I'm, I self-published The Awakened Duology again. I relaunched them and then I have another book coming out September that I'm also self-publishing, but I very much have a goal to be traditionally published again. Like I'm not, you know, throwing traditionally published, you know, stuff out the window. It's just maybe not for now. For me, it was more just, it felt right to do the, a book this way. Um, the relaunch was a little different because it was just that I just want to get these books out into the world again. But with my new book, I've been working on this book, some version of it anyway, um, since I was in high school. It's gone through so many different variations and I picked it up and let it go. And after a while, I just felt like I just want this one to belong to me. It's belonged to me for, you know, 15 years now. I, I want this one to still belong to me and I want to make the decisions. I don't want anyone to change it or anything. Um, so it's, I don't know. It was hard because you, you, you query and it can be very hard. It can be very stressful. It can be very exhausting and it can be very discouraging. And I think at some point too, I also was like, you know, I don't know that anybody really wants this right now. Um, maybe they'd want it in the future, depending on how the market goes, because it goes up and down. But right now they don't want it. And I've been sitting on it for a while. I think I know enough that I'm just going to do it myself. And I'm, I, I, it's, like I said, it's hard to say. I think it's a kind of an individual decision. And I think, you know, you just kind of know this book I want, I know can do it. And this book, it's like, I just want to keep this one to myself. And I know I can do right by it by myself. Mm-hmm. So you talk about your new book coming. Uh, yes. Is this the baseball book you're talking about? Yes, it, it is. It sounds I'm, so cute. Tell I'm, us about it. I'm very, very excited. Um, the um, 
the story is about a girl named Evie who um, is growing up in a who's grown up in a um, a coastal town in Central California, and it's a very much a baseball town. Everybody in the town is very obsessed with the college baseball team, the Quakes. Her dad is the head coach. Her life has definitely um, been surrounded by baseball her entire life. She's loved baseball um, until she's in high school, and something happens where baseball, quote unquote, breaks her heart. And we don't really know. The reader doesn't really know what what what's going on with that. Um, but she doesn't really have a choice to avoid baseball. It's, it's, it's the life of the town and she goes to college and um, she's immediately pulled into this baseball world again, even though she's not really ready for it. And um, there's a brand new baseball player on the team, a transfer that comes in named Austin and, you know, immediately they kind of hit it off and, and he kind of, you know, starts to bring out that part of her that she's been trying to hide for a really long time. Sounds good. (laughs) I'm very, I'm very, very excited. Like I said, I've been working on some version of this story for a very, very long time. So it's a long time coming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It must feel good to have it close to being out in the world. Oh, yes, definitely. Even announcing it just felt like, oh, thank goodness. Like, (laughs) finally. (laughs) I know how that is. Um, okay, so I just have like a total non-book, non-writing related topic to bring up because when sure. I was on your blog, um, you have a kind of a bucket list of sorts. Um, I think it was 40 things to do before you're 40. Yes. <laughs> um, and one of them was that you wanted to at some point do a half marathon, Um, and I love that because that is also on one of my bucket list things. Um, and I've, I've kind of recently started a running habit just in the last two, maybe three years. Um, and so I've also been kind of like progressing and building up to these longer distances. Um, so I just, I just think that's really cool and a cool goal to hear about. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've never been an athletic person. I've always been, oh goodness. Um, I've always just been the the um, the kind of person that would just rather read about sports or watch sports than do sports. Um, but I've been running for about uh, about two years now. Um, I got diagnosed with diabetes a couple of years ago, and it's very like jarring when it happens. It's like you need to change your diet, your exercise, all of this. And I started exercising, and I don't like exercising, <laughs> and so I, I, I'm not a fan of it. And so I kept thinking, okay, what's the way? Like maybe if I find something I really like you know, and exercising, maybe it's lifting, or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe there's a sport out there that I just haven't tried or something. And I thought, well, my, my brother was a, a competitive runner through high school and college. He ended up um, coaching um, high school cross country. So I was like, well, I guess I could try running. I've never tried it before. And I immediately fell in love with it. I'm so slow. I get there eventually. I hit the finish line eventually. Um, but yeah, it's just been, you know, I never thought I could do like a 5k then I did a 5k and I never thought I could do more. And I've been kind of very slowly, like you said, building up to that, that ultimate, that ultimate goal of 13.1 miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, same. Hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm the exact same. I was never athletic. Um, and was very intimidated by athleticism in a lot of ways. Uh, but having the goals of like slowly trying to do uh, longer distances and longer distances has been one of the few challenges that has really inspired me. Yeah. So my dream is to someday do the Disney World half marathon. 
I would love that. They used to do, because I'm about, you know, 15 minutes from Disneyland. I've grown up around Disneyland. I used to work there. Um, I've always like thought, oh, maybe one day. And now I run and I'd be like, I'd love to, I'd love to do a Disneyland run, but they don't do them at Disneyland anymore. So yeah. I have to get myself to Florida to, to get that, to get that one done. <laughs> right, right. I figure if anything can motivate me, it would be a trip to Disney World. So this is true. This is very true. <laughs> I know. I know. I was originally hoping, so I think it happens in January. Um, and so I was thinking January, 2021, which of course is not going to happen now. Um, right. <laughs> but, but maybe 2022. I don't know. We'll but anyway, we'll, just, we'll see each other there. We'll, we'll both be at the start line. <laughs> that would be awesome. I would love that. Right. <laughs> we shall slowly run the 13.1 miles. Together. As I said, I will get to that finish line. Eventually I can't like guarantee that, you know, the, 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 you know, the medical people that follow like the last people, I can't guarantee they won't be right behind me, but I'll get there eventually. Yeah. No, I'm not speedy at all, but it is, you just keep going. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and like the more distances you do, like once you hit a mile, you're like, okay, I could do two of these. And then you do a 5k and you're like, okay, I could do a little bit more, like breaking it up into smaller pieces helps. Like when you first think about 13.1, you're like, there's no way. Yeah. But like the more you, like the more, like you said, the more distances you do, the more that you're like, oh, like I think I could get there. Like it's just baby steps. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny how it does build up your confidence over time. Um, and I feel like there must be a parallel here to the writing life in some way. <laughs> It probably is because I love to run, but I love to run after I'm done running. When I'm running, I'm like, this is the worst idea. Yes, I know. <laughs> and the same thing is with writing. There's times when I'm writing and I'm like, why? Like, yeah. I don't want to do And then like you get to a good part where you write really well or you finish something and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Like, I really love doing that. It just was not so great in the middle. <laughs> yeah, no, that feeling of accomplishment afterwards is the absolute best. Oh yeah. Uh, being in the very midst and the muck of it, eh. <laughs> yeah there's definitely that like middle yeah mm -hmm, definitely <laughs> I hear you okay we are gonna wrap this up with our happy writer lightning round okay let's do this what book makes you happy right off the top of my head I would say fangirl by rainbow Ralph. oh that's such a cute book I love that book I read it at least once a year yeah, and having written fan fiction, that I felt like that book really got me. I also used to, because, you know, Simon Snow is very based off of, like, a Harry Draco fan fiction, and that's mm -hmm. kind of where I got started with writing when I was, like, 13-ish. So I also have a very close, like, oh, yeah, I understand that fan fiction very well. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you have a writing ritual? honestly not really I write when I you know I still work a full-time job and I run the blog which is also kind of a full-time job and I try to find a lot of time for running and stuff so my writing is okay I have time right now I'm gonna sit down and write um but I definitely always have to have noise some kind of noise music I put the tv on as a background noise I cannot write in silence what is your favorite zombie movie oh that is a fantastic question. The problem is, is for like three years while I was writing The Awakened, the novella, and then The Sanctuary is I avoided everything zombie. So I'm catching <laughs> up now. <laughs> so the past couple years, I've like been catching up on stuff that I haven't watched because I didn't want anything to like influence my own story. So I just avoided all of it. Yeah. Um, so 
I really do like the original um, Dawn of the Dead. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I do remember watching that probably when I was like way too young to watch it and just being terrified by it. And yeah, so that one's kind of the one that pops up the most. What do you do to celebrate an accomplishment? I always go um, to Trader Sam's, which is the um, tiki bar um, at the Disneyland Hotel. I am so jealous of your celebration. <laughs> it <laughs> is next to Disneyland. It is my my go-to. I go every year for my birthday, and I did get to go this year because my birthday was right before everything closed. Um, and yeah, it's my it's it's my big thing, and it was really exciting to go there for um when The Awaken was originally published five years ago because they have a drink called um the Zombie Head, yeah. and it comes in a little zombie mug. And I was like, I just need to get a picture of my book with this mug because it's you know we're celebrating today, so it still stayed like a tradition. That's awesome. Can I ask when is your birthday? It's February 27th. Okay. Mine is February 19th. So I Oh yeah. So we're really close. Yeah. Right there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I was actually in Seattle for my birthday this year. So I kind of went to Seattle for the first time and then came home and then everything just went pandemic crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give to help someone become a happier writer? The biggest piece of advice I kind of give anybody who, whether they are just like starting writing or there anything is you're going to be so much happier when you give yourself permission to write badly. Mm. Um, everybody writes badly. And I think it's really hard to know that because you read these books all the time and they're, they've been through so many edits and rewrites and they're perfect. You know, they're on the shelf and they're great, but you don't see all that background of when that book was probably totally awful. Um, and so I know that that was something I struggled with. I would sit in front of my computer and just be like, this is awful. I can't write. I can't do this. But once I kind of told myself like, it's gonna just be bad and that's okay. Cause then you're going to go back and fix it. It just writing became so much easier. Um, it's okay. Just put the words on the page. They don't need to be good. Like this is not the book that people are going to see they're going to see, you know, four or five drafts from now. They're not going to see this one. Lastly, where can people find you? Um, I can be found, um, like I'm found kind of in two different places. As an author, you can um, find me at S.E. Santana Writes on pretty much everything. Um, and then if you want to follow my blog side, which is just a bunch of fangirling and, and book loving and all that good stuff, you can find me at What a Nerd Girl Says. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great to be here. Oh, I'm very glad. And I so enjoyed The Awakened, um, as creepy and timely as it was. <laughs> Readers, definitely check out The Awakened and its sequel, The Sanctuary. Both are out now. Uh, and of course, if you can support your local independent bookstore, we always encourage you to do so. Please subscribe to this podcast so you will always be in the know about new episodes. And you can find me on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy and cozy out there in your bunkers. And whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier. <laughs>